Ray Zahav, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for hanging out with us. Glad to be here. I'm stoked to be here. It's been a long time since we chatted. Yeah, so, totally. Uh, you know, for all of your viewers, Greg and I go back a long way and uh, I've done many projects together. Very excited to uh, say that there'll be some in the future, I hope, near future, now that things are opening up. but Yeah, hey. we have to get back out there and do another expedition. I was actually looking the other day. It's been like way, 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 way too long since we've since I've taken your blood. So I definitely need to take some more of your blood soon. That would be you're awesome. You're kind of like a you're like a science vampire. Like it's like a sampire. You're a sampire. <laughs> you're like it's a whole new field. You're a sciencey vampire. You know that likes to take blood, and it's like you relish in the thought of taking people's blood. It's good though. It's good because we get information from you. You know. Tell me what happened really up in Ellesmere. Like walk me through that because it looked like a super epic expedition, but the conditions were crazy. The snow yeah, was you know, weird. Like tell me what happened. You and I have talked about stuff like this so many times on expeditions. And the reality is, and anybody who's watching knows this, when you're pushing yourself or challenging yourself in a new way or doing something that, you know, it's untested waters or you're doing something maybe in your own life that's different. Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes the rocket explodes, right? And it's just not the way you want things to go, but it, it does happen. And... For this expedition, Kevin and I were very well prepared um, just to give people a landscape of what we were hoping to accomplish this winter, which we will accomplish next winter, was a complete crossing of Ellesmere Island at its coldest time of year, mostly over land. Ellesmere Island in the Canadian north, look it up. It's a landmass that's really, it's at the very, very top of Canada. The next stop is the North Pole kind of thing. About 1,000, 1,200 kilometers, our route in total with all the zigzags and everything else as we go. And we would be self-contained, not unsupported. Self-contained meaning we would drag these giant sleds with all the gear and food we need to survive. But we were supported in the sense that we had a filmmaker with us. And our filmmaker was with our Inuit friends on snow machines. And they would be moving, not right beside us, they would you know, it's only so much film footage you can get a two dummy skiing across the Arctic when it's, you know, unbelievably cold out. So instead they would get a shot of us and they'd go off and they'd be looking for polar bears and wolves and, and musk ox and everything else. So Kevin and I have been doing these projects like crossing Antarctica to the South Pole, crossing Lake Baikal in Siberian winter. I've done tons of winter Arctic expeditions in Canada, Russia and other places over the years. So we were very well prepared for what we needed to do. And this is one of those things where, you know, you're so prepared. You've got this is what your brain is saying, right? And we had all the right food, all the right gear that was dialed. We trained, we were physically fit, we were prepared. But we got there and we started out on this fjord, this icy section of frozen ocean um, and headed towards land and realized that the quality of the snow, the snow crystals themselves were like being on broken glass and sandpaper. So you're pulling 250, 260, 270 pounds of gear and food behind you. And when you're pulling it across sandpaper, it's very, very difficult and not impossible, but enough that we had 50 days of food, 50 days of fuel. It's minus 50 every day. It's minus 30, you know, minus 30, sorry, during the day as, as a peak, minus 50 at night. You got to get there. I mean, you don't, you don't mess around on those temperatures. You've got 50 days and our mileage was not enabling us to, to get there. We were not going to get there the way we were doing the project. So when we hit the overland section and realized the sleds wouldn't move at all, we relied on our team and our film 
team to be able to bring our gear forward. But because it was so cold, we remained supported by them for this giant overland section as we headed north. It was so cold that the the snow machines kept breaking down. Um, they were freezing, sometimes not starting. And it became abundantly clear to us that there was a number of factors that were not going our way. We were not going to have enough food and fuel. We were not, um, you know, it, it, as Kevin said, we'd have to, we figured out at some point we were going to have to turn around and lick our wounds. I mean, there's just no way that we were going to physically be able to do things the way we wanted to. Plus, this added safety element where the entire team could be impacted by what may or may not happen with these snow machines. So we had to make the very difficult decision, and it's a much longer story. I don't want to take up all of your time. But we made the very difficult decision that we were going to have to turn back. And this was not an easy journey to get out there, not an easy journey to get back over glaciers, over, you know, uh, broken snow and, and rocks, rocks everywhere. And we get back out after 11 hours on these snow machines because we were weeks on the land and we get back out there a few weeks on the land and we get back out there and we get into the ocean where it's frozen and one of those snow machines just blows up and we knew right then oh my god we abandoned it out on the ice we made our way back into Grease Fjord and we said oh my god we made the right decision and sometimes making those hard decisions those calls it's very difficult to do in the moment but deep down inside you know it's the right thing that you have to do I've done Greg, now what, 31, 32, 33, something like that, expeditions all over the world. Yeah, a handful of times, things have not worked out the way I wanted to, but I don't, I don't do projects that I know for me are predictable. I love adventure and exploration because I want to learn and I want to test myself and I want to be in these places in the Arctic in winter. I want to be across the deserts in the middle of summer when, yeah, it's sometimes 55, 60 degrees Celsius. You may or may not make it. You know, but you got to know when to pull the chute. And so there was no way to button it up that, that Kevin and I were going to take, put others at risk for our dream, but we also were not willing to compromise on our expedition. Instead, we wanted to learn from it, go back next year, which we've got a whole new plan. I won't tell you what it is yet, so maybe you'll have me back on at some point. But we're working on a new plan, and we're really excited to go after it instead of going back and being depressed and all the money that's been spent, the time spent, the commitments, the friends that were involved in making this dream a reality, instead of going back and saying, oh, you know what? We failed. I think you probably saw the post the other day. I used a quote from a buddy of mine. There's no such thing as fail. It's your first attempt in learning, right? And I think it's just such a brilliant acronym that a buddy of mine is a teacher and a podcaster in the US had, had shared with me. And so I, I, I look at this with excitement instead with this project. And I look at it as an opportunity at my stage of my career. I'm 53 years old. I'm still out there trying to do these hard things while I can. And I'm challenged in a whole new way. This expedition was going to be very, very difficult to complete, but we're willing to learn and adapt and make the dream happen. And I think that that's the critical piece. We live in an era where everything is polished on social media into positive outcomes, and unrealistic sometimes expectations and instead you know i said to myself when i posted about this recently i it's i don't have something to prove i'm doing this because i really want to do it you know i i can pull a heavy sled i i've proven that before it's not about that it's about seeing Ellesmere at this time of year it's about connecting my expedition to students it's about learning something for myself that's why i'm doing this and if we continue to pursue things and think in that avenue 
and remove all those other things that are implemented or imposed upon us about how we think things are supposed to go, I think there's great opportunities for all of us to learn, you know? Yeah, totally. And there's so much there that we can unpack. And, uh, but I'll, I'll start here. And these shows are normally 10 minutes long, but we're just going to blow through that because there's too much to talk about. And I know that, that we always like, there's so much good stuff. And I want to begin with the decision-making under pressure because it's life and death. There is no guarantee of success. I love the fact that you go and do things that are hard enough that there's a significant chance that it won't work out, that you will fail. By the way, research came out this year that shows that the fastest rates of learning are associated with the greatest number of failures on that path. So anyone that like associates failure with negativity is, I think, completely missing the boat on that one. So I love that you brought that up. But I'd love to know about when you and Kevin were encountering those difficulties, when the plan was not going according to plan, when the ski machine, the snow machine exploded or like blew up basically or froze, all of those begin to accumulate and you're faced with a decision. How do you make a good decision under pressure? Because that's something I think everyone can relate to. And whether it's your career or, you know, something going on with your children or how you cope with the world right now and, you know, all these sorts of things. I think that process that you and Kevin used to make that decision would be fascinating. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that. Well, it's a great, it's a great question. I have to tell you, and, I, and I've, I've been frozen in my tent on many expeditions or boiling in the heat and many expeditions and laid there and wondered, am I just getting old? I feel like I'm less reactive, emotionally reactive in decision-making on expeditions. And you know what I come to realize? It's not really an age thing. It's an experience thing. It's being experienced in making decisions that are both uh, gratifying and sometimes um, demoralizing. And you have to be able to be able to swing both ways on that and be able to uh, make those decisions in both aspects, whether it's a decision that's a positive and happy outcome that you want to have, or it's the decision that you're making that's like, you know, I'm pulling the plug on this thing, I'll come back and fight another day. It's knowing when to make the decision and then being confident in the decision making and in the adaptive process. You brought up, you know, as we had to change the way we were doing things. So when we hit land a week into the expedition and realized, uh oh, there's no way we can do this thing self-contained. We discussed it with each other and we said, okay, here's, here's what's in front of us. We can pull up stakes and go home now. Or we came here, four years of planning, a year of dedicated training, tons of fundraising. Let's adapt. We're on an expedition. We are exploring. We are on an adventure at a time of year going over land, but really no one ever does. Let's adapt. What do we need to do to adapt to achieve our goal? Okay, well, we're going to have to get rid of these loads for now. Take, you know, daytime supplies, firearms, in case of polar bears, all that stuff, and be prepared to move one day at a time as opposed to this grand parcel of stuff that we're dragging behind us that will take care of us for the entire 50 days. So be willing to adapt and change the context of the expedition, knowing that later in the expedition, we'd take all that stuff back. We'd, we'd be unsupported again later on when stuff got lighter, conditions got better over the course of a month, month and a half, and then you're rocking again, right? The point where we had to finally make the plug, by the t pull the plug, by the time you get to that point in the expedition, your decision's already been made. It's just, it's a culmination of factors that's kind of like stewing, and the soup has just been simmering. And, you know, you, you're, you're going through each night of the expedition, you're taking stock of where things are at, how things are going, 
and you're having those frank discussions with one another, or if I'm on a solo expedition with myself, and you're saying, okay, probability is someone's going to get hurt. Probability is something bad's going to happen. And we have to be honest with ourselves. We can't, you know, in my younger, and I'm not, and I'm not equating this with age, but, you know, younger as in when I was doing my first four or five expeditions, the, the, I wouldn't have processed the information the same way. I would have been like, down with that. We go anyhow. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. Hang on a sec. Let's look at this. Let's look at this strategically. All these years of being on expeditions of Tommy, this is not going to work out this time. So don't screw it up. And we, turns out, made that right decision, you know? Awesome. Next thing I want to dig into is in a world where so many people are caught up, as you accurately described, in looking at the perfection of curated, filtered social media. And, you know, basically, you're only ever seeing the best of the best of the best. And very occasionally, someone might post a failure. And But it's just a very strange world where we're not exploring, we're not having adventures. Uh, it's, I, I think there's so much value in exploration. I think there's so much value in having adventures and whether it's crossing Ellesmere Island or going for a run on a new path that you've never been on before or whatever it is, just having that sense of exploration and adventure is so critically important for us but also especially i think for our kids and our 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 communities which is devoid of that right now in our current social media curated safe uh environment would love your thoughts on that because obviously that's what you stand for that's what you do that's what you love that's the why behind what you do which is super cool and i think that's something that everyone can maybe install so, a little bit of in their life would be super helpful for them. So you're saying, so come at me again. So like, what's the question basically? So the question I would say is, Ray, what, what, what is it about adventure and exploration that's so valuable? I mean, and I know it for you. And what do you think that, why do you think that could be valuable for other people to install in their lives? Okay. So here's the thing. When we started Impossible to Possible, and I don't expect anybody here to know what it is, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Impossible Possible was an organization that Bob Cox and I started in 2008. It's a nonprofit organization. And Doc Wells has been on many of these trips with us. We take young people on expeditions around the world, 16 to 21 years of age. They go and they learn about a subject. They go on an adventure, like trekking through the Amazon jungle, learning about biodiversity or, um, you know, hiking the mountains of California and learning about ecosystem services or going to Rajasthan and learning about access to healthcare. Uh, all of these expeditions are 100% free. Everyone's a volunteer that goes on the expedition. And the goal of the expeditions is to not only inspire and educate and empower young people, that's our sort of three words that frame impossible to possible, but it's to take those expeditions and put them in classrooms around the world. So 16-year-olds are connecting with 25,000 other kids around the world in classrooms that are following their adventure. And what we've learned over time is that those young people that are maybe in urban areas, highly urban areas, whatever, or maybe they're living uh, in a First Nations community or they're living um, you know, um, off the coast of Washington state in a small town. They all connect with these young people and see in them this excitement that they're on an adventure. And what we've kind of realized through the program is that access to outdoors for everyone and being in outdoor spaces provides learning opportunities and provides an opportunity to learn about oneself, not only the world, but about oneself 
in ways that really you can't any other way. It's so visceral and experiential just being outside. And sadly, a lot, I, I, probably a majority of young people don't have free access to the outdoors, which is something that I think is, is something that really needs to be addressed. By the term adventure, it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical adventure or expedition, in my opinion, that someone embarks on. I think when if you provide young people with an opportunity to challenge themselves in any way possible, um, they thrive on that. It's, it's a natural human instinct of survival to want to, I mean, survival is all about finding at the most basic level, you know, genetically as human beings, food, sleep, shelter, right? And so you, in pursuit of those things, you achieve new milestones. Um, and I think that someone in their own life in the modern era, when they're in pursuit of things that are uh, challenging yet rewarding, whether it's in music, the arts, sports, whatever, academics, um, you are on an adventure in life and you can glean so much personal satisfaction and growth from that. So my layer of context is taking young people into the outdoors and, and also actually with my guiding business, Capic One, taking adults, people our age, onto expeditions of their own and discover at 45 or 50 that, hey, we still are learning, right? We never stop learning till, till you're six feet under. You don't really stop learning. And so um, it's that, that's my way of connecting people to that concept that I'm trying to share and probably doing a horrible job of it. But this idea that when we're on an adventure in life, it's an opportunity to learn so much more about ourselves than we think we know, you know? That's awesome. Uh, Ray, if anyone wants to learn more about what you're up to and connect with you, uh, where can they look? I am, I am sensitive to your time. I know you've got tons of stuff going on and uh, just want to make sure that people can connect with you, but not take you up want, too much you wanna, of your time. You want to go get lunch, don't you? That's what this is about. All you're thinking is, I got to get this guy right off of here. You know, <laughs> so uh, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. I think I, 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 if I press the buttons right, I'm streaming this to, to LinkedIn. You can reach out to me there. Um, I'm on Instagram, obviously, as everyone is, Facebook, and I have a website, raiseahab.com. I'm easy to find. So uh, if anybody has any questions, please reach out. Cool. Thanks, Ray. Really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, wisdom, inspiration. And uh, we'll do another one soon to hear about the next iteration of the, uh, the Ellesmere adventure.